You're listening to the Heart and Hustle podcast. We are your hosts, Evie McLeod and Lindsay Roman. Thank you for tuning in to another episode, my friend. Today, we have an incredible conversation on topics like growing and scaling your business, becoming a leader, and balancing entrepreneurship and motherhood. Today is just a doozy, and we cannot wait for you to hear this conversation. Today's guest is the lovely Ashley Merrill, founder of Lunia, an intentionally crafted restwear brand. As founder of Lunia and their sister brand, Lago for Men, although... Hold on. If it's like the men brand, would that be not like a brother brand? Okay, you get it. It's not, okay. <laughs> Moving on. Ashley Merrill is on a simple mission to elevate rest in people's lives. Beyond Lunia and Lago, Ashley is an investor and also co-founder of The Deep and the chairwoman of Outdoor Voices. Both personally and professionally, she is an active supporter of organizations like Sola, Upstream, and United Medical Corps. She is a Southern California native and resides there with her husband and their two young children. Today, we chatted with Ashley about her story starting her restwear brand, Lunia, and how she went into the startup just with blind naivety that actually served her so well. Ashley shares her biggest challenges in scaling her businesses, how her leadership has evolved over the course of being an entrepreneur, and how she balances being both an entrepreneur and a mom. She gets vulnerable, and we are just here for her honesty. Can we give like her an amen? Yes. I hope this episode just gives you a little slice of everything from inspiration on how to start your own business to wise advice on scaling when it gets hard to navigating the mom guilt that comes along with being a entrepreneur. Let's get to the show and welcome Ashley Merrill. Where do you see yourself in five years? Did a little panic just set in? Like, have you ever been asked that dreaded question and thought, oh my gosh, I actually don't know. Us too. We've been in your shoes. When people ask those big questions, it's normal not to know how to answer them, right? But it's a vital question to actually ask yourself, especially as an entrepreneur. It can make or break your business and ensure that you're actually heading in the right direction in life and business. Which is why we've created a resource just for you. It is all about setting goals and how to actually reach them as an entrepreneur. If you want to discuss dreaming big, how to set goals, and then how to actually achieve them, this freebie is just what the doctor prescribed. To download, go to theheartuniversity.com forward slash goals. You're listening to the Heart and Hustle podcast with Evie Rupp and Lindsay Roman, two photographers turned entrepreneurs and founders of the Heart University. If you're a creative entrepreneur or a motivated dreamer wanting to make the most of your life, this podcast is for you. Each week, Evie and Lindsay bring you actionable tools to uplevel your business and life. So if you're ready to step up to the plate and pursue your God-given potential, you're in the right place. You're ready to live your life and run your business to its fullest? Then buckle up, because here are your hosts, Evie and Lindsay. Ashley, welcome to this show. We are so excited for you to be here today. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's going to be such a fun conversation. I'm I'm already like buckling up. And getting- <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. I hope I can deliver. <laughs> oh, you will. Already, I can tell. This will be fun. For our listeners who maybe like don't know who you are or aren't familiar with Lunia, can you just tell us kind of a little bit about you and your story and how you got to where you are today? Absolutely. Um, so foremost, Lunia is a we call it restwear. It's a restwear brand. Um, we make clothes that are great for sleeping in and also clothes that are really transitional that work well around your home in our sort of new, more transitional lifetime, uh, lifestyles. Mm. And, um, I, and also there's a male counterpart to that brand, I should say. Lago is the men's version of, of Lunia. I started working on Lunia in 2012. And I started wow. working on this company really because I felt like 
Much the way that Chip Wilson saw a gap in the market with Lululemon many, many years ago, I felt, wow, there's a similar gap that exists within that sort of sleep rest space. And wouldn't it be amazing to um, create something that brought that functional aspect that we need to close um, to that home sphere? And would people love that? And would that be amazing? And do I think there'd be a market for it? So it really kind of started with, you know, seeing potential and um, as a customer, frankly, feeling like there wasn't something out on the marketplace that I felt like I could comfortably wear around the house to feel like my best, the best version of myself, we'll say. Mm. Oh, I love that. I relate to that. Yeah. I, feel, <laughs> I feel the most myself in loungewear or restwear. I love I love that you You're, call it that. Uh I'm I'm so down. That's like my favorite thing to wear. So we are we are your people. Okay. Yes. yes. It is like it's funny this like as we've reemerged a bit from the house, there it's like I run in to take off the clothes that I wore out and like quickly yes. throw on the other clothes. Like I'm like, oh wait. Oh, that was, oh my gosh. It's like so satisfying. Oh it's my hilarious. gosh. That's so true. I actually yeah. was thinking the other day, I was like, man, I wonder if other people are like me where I change like four times throughout the day totally. because I want to be comfortable and, you know, like I'm going grocery shopping. So I put on an outfit. I come back home, I put on a different outfit, yes. be more comfortable. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, oh, I'm going to run out to the beach. And so then I put on a different outfit. <laughs> it's like this, like, I thought well, that was maybe just me, but. No, I think it's not you. And I actually think what you're describing is very much the use case in which Lunia was designed. So it's interesting to kind of hear you talk about about it because I think like in many ways that's exactly how we came up with with how you know with our approach because we just kept thinking you know what if there's something that's designed and at, at its highest level of function I call sleep the highest level of function because I almost look at sleep as almost I would compare it to working out where if you mm. go for a run we of course take it for granted now that you're probably going to wear you know a compression bra so that things aren't bouncing around you're going to have like uh, you know, waistbands that don't ride up, straps that don't fall off. You're going to have, you know, a liner on your underwear. You're going to have wicking fabrics. Like these are things that we have come to associate and almost sort of built these expectations into our understanding of athletic wear. I view sleep as sort of the corollary. Like I, I view it as similar in the sense that sleep has a lot of very specific demands. You know, you get temperature is one of the biggest issues movement, if you've ever worn something that you end up like all all tied up in, you know, when you're sleeping <laughs> yeah. or things falling off or riding up or, you know, all these issues that we, like I said, take for granted that exist in working out. There's versions of these that exist in sleep. And so in many ways, I think of it like the very highest bar of our work is product that is really incredible for sleeping. And mm. then we also are trying to recognize the transition transitional nature of how people live now, which is that fluidity that you like just described. And we're like, wow, could we make this? And she could sleep in this, but then she could like layer on pants or a sweater or whatever for the, throughout her day as, as you know, she has to run in and out doing errands, dropping off a kid, doing whatever is required. Could we create something that is more effortless? So she's not changing five times a day, but instead kind of like pulling on and off layers and feels like perfectly comfortable and appropriate in all those scenarios. Yes. Oh, I love this. Well, I love that you actually are talking about this because I think all businesses at their core are solving some sort of problem. And I love that you actually like are thinking like, oh, how do we feel in our clothes when we're sleeping? How do we, how can we multi accessorize like loungewear, but then also like going out to grab the kids or, or anything like that. So I love that you that you mentioned that, but I guess at the beginning, when you first started Lunia, like, mm-hmm. did you ever think it would grow to this scale? 
So like, what was that thought process? I'm going to say this, and I don't want this to sound arrogant, but yes, I felt like let's do what Lululemon did um, in athletic wear for sleepwear. And that's mm-hmm. like a $30 billion company. I, I just, my feeling is that everybody sleeps and not everyone works out. I think the marketplace is mm-hmm. huge for someone that's really going to do a great job solving the right problems. Yeah. Um, so, and, and I'm the kind of person that, you know, I think this is another thing that's really, you know, you mentioned that a lot of entrepreneurs listen to your show. And I think it's interesting to think about what is the right kind of business for you. And for me, I was looking for a business that I thought I could be uniquely well-suited to start, that I could believe in, and that could have, it could, it could be large and impactful. And I say that because I think there's also some people that might start a business because, and you mentioned this earlier, but maybe they actually want a smaller business. So sometimes they'll own their own business because they can, you know, constrain it. I actually have a few women that I know that started their own like legal businesses on their own. They left their big law practices. They have children and they wanted to do their own business as lawyers and constrain their hours so that they could have the lifestyle they want. So I also think like this goal matching up is really interesting. I always wanted Lunia to be big um, because I think sleep and rest matter so much. I think mm-hmm. that they're actually some of the fallout that we're seeing with people feeling burnout and anxiety and stress. Like I think the amount of that that is tied to not getting enough sleep is, is very much underestimated. I think it's a huge correlation between getting good sleep and like how you feel just as a human being. So I, what I get excited about is this idea of like, yes, Lunia, I would love to see it get big. That's very exciting for me personally and our team because we work so hard on it, but also because what that would mean for people's regard for rest gets me mm. excited, you know? Mm, I love that. I cannot amen that enough. And uh, the importance of rest, especially in our world today that I think has you know, begun to glorify like hustle or or different things or, you know, just not like we, even if we're not glorifying something else, we're almost losing the importance of sleep and then rest. Cause I feel like those are obviously two different things. Um, so I love that. I want to kind of touch on a little bit of the logistical side of starting a a product business and specifically, you know, a, a clothing business, like in the manufacturing realm, because I know what a beast that is. Um, What was your biggest challenge with starting Lunia, like as a, as a product business? Well, probably uh, my own lack of knowledge about running a product centric company. I came from online media, so wasn't used to dealing with a physical good and all of the nuances that come along with that. I didn't know anything about garment construction. I didn't know anything about the fabric nuances, about supply chain, inventory management, back-end systems. The list really goes on and on. And on. <laughs> so I'm like, what I did know which was a much smaller list, actually. Um, and so that was really overwhelming. And, and I think in some ways, I actually believe that that naivety is, is part of what makes a lot of startups successful. Mm, yeah. um, I think about a lot of other entrepreneurs that I know that maybe didn't have a deep background in their field first, but started with a problem set that they were solving. And the reason I, I like it, even though it's daunting, of course, to start in that way is you have no mental constraints. Yeah. Um, this is a funny analogy, but a, a friend of mine wanted to learn how to do watercolors. And she said she didn't want to take any classes first. She just wanted to like start doing watercolors 
and then start trying to get better. And that once she kind of had a connection with the medium, then she wanted to take more art classes. And I thought that was so interesting. And I think the reason she wanted to do that is because she was worried that constrained thinking, i.e. having a lesson from day one, like this is how you use the brush, this is how you apply the water, was going to, you know, minimize her sort of creative solution uh, making. And so I think because I didn't have any sense of like, this is how apparel is supposed to work, I was able to approach things. I still remember when I wanted to pursue, restore our fabric that we have right now, which is naturally thermoregulating fabric. It's, in, it's that minerals extruded into the yarn. And I remember telling them, I want this. It existed in athletic wear, but I want it with a natural fiber. And they were only mixing with polyester at that time. And they were like, it is not possible. And I fought with them on it for two years. And I think that I was like belligerent about it because (laughs) I didn't know that it couldn't actually be done. And guess what? It could be done. You know, it's like, I just needed to like push it enough. And I was willing and I was so determined to get it done that I didn't take no very easily for an answer because I didn't really understand the constraints that well. And so some things that were maybe impossible were made possible by that lack of understanding of of kind of like conventional ways of doing things. Yeah. Oh, well, like I you're like that. in in that naivete, you're like, no, we can do it. We can do it. That's yes. right. <laughs> I was like, well, let's solve it another way. And what if I talk to this random guy who has done work with this kind of a company and like maybe he could advise me on a way to get it done. And I'm just like, you know, hitting the phones hard, calling people, trying to get from one person to the other, trying to get the answers to my questions. And also, like, because I don't have any questions, I have no ego about what I know and don't know. I, I know nothing, you know? And so that's kind of easy because you go in there and sometimes when you're in a meeting, when you're supposed to know what's going on, I can say that now because now that I'm more established, I've been doing this for 10 years, more of the meetings I understand, you know, I understand what's going on. I'm, I've got deep knowledge, of course, that it's taken me years and years to acquire. But people will say things like they're a given when they're not a given. You know, there are things that we'll take for granted to be true. And so, again, that just that naivete allows me to go, well, wait, why would you do it this way? Or, you know, what if we assembled in the U.S.? Or what if we, um, you know, pre-sold before? I I have another company I work with right now and her, she had huge inventory hits. And so she's like, what if I pre-sold for six weeks? Would people buy something six weeks early? And it's when you're young and you're starting out as a business, you're like, let's just try that. Who knows? You know, like maybe I can. And so just that sort of like defaulting to, you know, to yes, almost that, that is the optimism piece. It's, it's helpful. Mm. I think there's something so powerful in that too, of, you know, there's like a boldness that you're describing there of, you know, a willingness to take risks, a willingness to push the boundaries that you've been told exist Um, you know, a willingness to not take no for an answer. And I feel like everything that you're describing, Ashley, is, is the sign of a, a very, you know, visionary dreamer, entrepreneur type, but also of just in general, like a a good leader, like someone who was willing to kind of, I guess, push boundaries and really push forward on things and put in the effort and put in the work. And I would be super curious to just hear you talk a little bit about leadership because I know you have employees. I know you've clearly spearheaded stuff in your industry and really pushed for, you know, things that you knew were possible, like your fabric. And I would just love to hear you, like, how has that 
grown and changed as you've built your business? Have you noticed a difference in your leadership style, you know, when you started 10 years ago and where you sure. are today? All, all of that. Anything you have to yes. share? Yeah. And it's interesting because I almost would take that apart into categories where I think about there's vision, which is sort of this like future forward picture in your mind's eye of what could be, you know? Mm -hmm. And then there's leadership, which is to me a little bit more about inspiring others towards that vision. And then there'd be like management, which is setting people up to be successful in that, you know, in ascertaining that, that sort of vision through like clear, um, process, accountability, planning, those kinds of things. I love that. And I almost break it into categories because I think in an early business, um, and I'm going to, there's another, uh, there's a personality test called the high five. Have you heard of this? Oh, I actually haven't. I know. I'm like, wait, what? (laughs) It's called high five. I have to tell you, I've taken like all the tests. I think (laughs) it's one of the best tests. And the reason it kind of all figures in here is what the high five does is just helps you figure out what are the five things that you have that are sort of the traits that you're best at. And um, again, I mentioned that because I think a lot of getting good at business are kind of like maximizing your personal potential. When you start out in school, they try to work on your subjects that you're weak on. When you get out of school, I think you kind of double down. You need to make sure your weak areas aren't holding you back. But I think you're mostly doubling down on your strengths. And this is a long way of saying when I take the high five test in my top, five are certain skill sets like um, catalyst, which is somebody who's good at starting something, getting it going, almost like the first push on that ball up the hill. Um, Also optimist, so a can-do sort of believer that things are possible. Uh, And then for me, I have other things like doer. So that, that was very useful in an early stage business because that sort of ability to both be willing to like roll up my sleeves and get things done. It's sort of like a deliverer. So is this person, I think it's actually called deliverer, but this person who's like, can also do that. And I, and I mentioned these cause, and I had other ones like brainstormer and I can't remember what the last one was, but I mentioned it cause it's not uncommon for an early stage founder to be somebody who's very optimistic catalyst oriented. Mm-hmm. early days, you don't have the luxury usually, unless you like fund a lot out of the gates of dividing those into different, uh, roles, like a manager or a leader, or a visionary, you know, th- those are all one person. And so I think early on my ability to kind of get things going, to push through all the million walls that kept erecting in front of me and to like be willing to just go until I got the answers that I wanted. I think it served the company really, really well. I also think at the young company, a lot of the team that you need are much more generalist. You know, you tend to hire early on a lot of people who are kind of like you, because if you're going to have five people on the team, you need them to be shallow and wide. You need them to be willing to take on a lot of breadth in what they do. Mm. But as the company grows, I think the company's needs change, which is where I do think you seem to feel like there's a lot of turnover at companies as they make these transitions because the needs of the company and the strengths of the individual and the interests of the individual change. So you might early on have somebody who's really great at like doing a bunch of stuff, but as you get more specialized, you're like, Hey, I know you could do like, you know, we had someone early on who was doing social media, our photo shoots, our website, you know, you could do all those things. 
which was super cool. But then as we got bigger, we started to be like, actually, we need to kind of put you in a, a more specific area. And our expectation would be that you could go narrow and deep. We want you to show up with expertise. And so that's often not the same person. You know, the person that was really great before may not be able to do this. And I think that evolution with the company is, is pretty natural. And I think it showed up in my role too. So recently, um, I have, I'm, you know, for me, a big goal, I read Good to Great, and they talk about how good companies outlast their founders. And so I always mm-hmm. thought, you know, for me, that would be a dream is if this company could not, you know, I don't mind being, I love being involved with it, but could it li- exist beyond me? Could this be a company that has multi-generational and kind of do that? And that just felt like, wow, wouldn't that be an amazing goal? And I have noticed that as the company has matured more, the strengths it needs out of the leadership are a little different. You know, it needed, uh, I recently brought on someone new, um, Blair Lawson to be our CEO. And I think she is has a whole different set of strengths than me and actually comes up quite different on the high five. And I feel like that's, it's been really wonderful because then what we can do is put her in the area of like, she's really good at kind of like creating the systems, managing people to what are the right outcomes to hit, to work towards that vision. So even if this vision remains the same and maybe I can still provide inspirational leadership, you know, do we have the right plan of attack and process and people and all those things working together to get there? And she's really good at that. And so I would say, you know, roots required of leadership definitely has shifted, you know, shifts, I would say generally and has shifted at Lunia over time. And I think that's always tricky, but also really (laughs) exciting. Yeah. Oh, I, I love this conversation just because I think a lot of I mean, even me, like when I started business and I know a lot of our listeners, like we, we most entrepreneurs, especially creative entrepreneurs, which is a lot of our listeners, we start a business out of a passion or a hobby that we want to make money. And I don't think we have that mindset from the get go of like, I love what you just said of, I want my company company to outlast me. Like, and not that everybody, I mean, there's a lot of people out there that just want a small business and they never want it to be like the next, like McDonald's, I don't know, something, something huge, but I just, I love that longevity thinking of, of creating a legacy with what you do with your life and business can be part of that. Yeah. And I, and this is where I say, I think early on defining what you want really Mm. matters greatly. So for me, I kind of always felt that this had the potential to be that. And that was what I was working towards. That's what had been in my head. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I, when I talk to other entrepreneurs, because I'm lucky enough to be an investor, and so I get to talk to another, a lot of entrepreneurs, I think everybody has a different vision for what they're trying to build. You know, I talk to, I end up talking to a number of people in fashion. And, and I think one of the things that comes, that comes out with that is there's a tricky aspect to this. I'll talk to, I'll, let's say I talk often to designers who want to launch their own line. I think if you're saying, I want to be a designer and I want to launch my own line and I want it to maintain, to, you know, be something kind of modest. Like I, I'm not looking for tons of growth. I'm looking for like a reasonably healthy business that can oh, give me this ongoing creative outlet. Let's say that's the goal. I think that's great. You can build that with that in mind. But I will say oftentimes where these businesses get into trouble is over time, the economics maybe never made sense or it's, or it's like mm-hmm. a movie where you're, you have to have a, a, a massive hit to make that money pencil out. So I do sometimes question people when they're designers and they're saying, I want to make my own line. Uh, just really saying, do you want to make your own line or could you go work for somebody who's got a fashion company and like find an opportunity to have a lot of creative expression in there? Or Because over time, what you're going to have to get good at when you run your own business 
is often not what you like doing. Mm-hmm. And, and so sometimes I'll ask people, you know, to get good at running a business, you're going to need to be able to, you know, run a P&L, do a lot of HR, build an org, manage people towards, you know, accountable metrics and all these kinds of things. And so if you're just like, I, I love designing and I love creative, then know that either you're going to make your, you know, your company will likely stay smaller, or you're going to want to bring somebody in who's good at those things that are important in business scale. So I think in some ways, I think it's risky when we tie our ego to a, a title or we tie our our outcomes that we want if it's tied to a title. Mm-hmm. Because I think for me, I'm happiest when I, there's an alignment between what I'm best at doing and what my job is, what I actually do. You know, the more uh-huh. those things line up, the happier I am, whether I hold you know, X title or Y title, that's actually like secondary to the work. And so I do think like sometimes we spend a lot of time when I talk to entrepreneurs about like, what is the job you actually want versus the one that you think you want? You know, what is the, what do you want to do every day? And so there's Mm -hmm. a lot of, I think thinking about what you want in your business, how big you want it to be, why your, what your goals are for even starting it. And then thinking about what's the role you want to play within it. I would separate those two things and then really beat those up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that's you're you're basically, you know, uh challenging entrepreneurs who you're talking to to actually think, you know, deconstruct their ideas and yeah. take take ownership and authority of their actions and what they're doing versus just kind of going with the flow of you know, oh, well, I want to start this business. Okay, so let's get started. Oh, okay, well now, you know, I've grown so much, I need to hire an intern. Okay, well now exactly. I need to hire, like, it's just kind of like, you, yeah, exactly. you fall into things. And I love that you're challenging entrepreneurs and our listeners as well. Like actually think the bigger, like paint a full picture. Yes. Think through everything. What, and and that, I want to throw out there, I think that can change over years. You can paint it, a picture when you start yeah, when you start your business, it might change then three, four, or five years down the road and expands or gets smaller or you know, whatever. But you're doing you're you're painting this picture and working towards something with clarity in mind, which will help you be more productive, to yes. be more aligned in your actions, to actually have purpose behind them and not just going with the flow. And I totally. think that's one of the most powerful lessons that entrepreneurs can really take to heart is you know, at the, at the end of the day, you're basically just saying, think this through, actually, you know, put thought into this. Don't just go with the flow and hop on the sled and hope that it takes you to the right destination at the bottom of the hill. Like, you know, that's right. That's exactly right. You you do the work up front and it's not just business work. It's like self-work. It's who, what do I want? Who do I want to be in this? Like, how do I, am I, do I want to be a part of something that's really big do I want to keep something smaller so that I can like maintain ownership and control? Is that more important? You know, it's, and there's no right or wrong answers, but I think having that clarity and that honesty within yourself, it, you automatically drive in the right direction. So I do, I do think like doing that work early on, um, it helps. I talk to a lot of people who kind of got where they are and then they're like looking around going, Oh my gosh, I don't, I didn't plan for this and I'm here and what do I do now? Yeah, it's just harder. Listen up, entrepreneurs. Do you ever struggle with getting all of the nutrients that you need in a day? Because let's be real, you are busy as heck. Same. Introducing Athletic Greens. We've started taking AG1 because we wanted to see what all of the hype was about. So what is this stuff? 
With one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. Literally all the things. Yes, AG1 contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals or artificial anything while still tasting good. And a friend of ours describes it as white gummy bear flavor, and that is very accurate. (laughs) Yes, it's cheaper than getting all the different supplements yourself, and your subscription comes with a year's supply of vitamin D, which is so important to add in the winter months when you don't get as much sunlight. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash heart. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash heart to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Have you ever been working with your team on a project and you're trying to do everything over email? And let's be real, things work well enough in the beginning, but once you start adding more than a couple of people or sharing more than a couple of files, the whole thing becomes a big old mess. We relate to that big time. We uh, started our team communication via text messaging. So let's just say that got very messy very fast. (laughs) Yes, this is where Basecamp comes in. Basecamp is designed to make managing projects easy for everyone. Basecamp offers a straightforward concept to project management, and it allows collaboration with internal team and clients. Yes, a lot of Basecamp customers use it to collaborate with clients, but it was also built to help teams stay in the loop of the work they need to do without overwhelming everyone with countless emails and notifications. The company as a whole is big on work-life balance, and you know we love that here too. Go to Basecamp.com forward slash heart and sign up today to start a free 30-day trial. There's no credit card required and you can cancel online at any time. Yes, if you want to know if Basecamp is right for your team, signing up for a trial is the best way to do so. Remember to go to Basecamp.com forward slash heart to get your free trial. Thank you, Basecamp, for sponsoring this episode. I feel like this goes really well into the next question that I have for you, which is what was the biggest challenge that you faced when it came to scaling your business? People... Um, I think people is the hardest. It's also the best part of the business, but mm-hmm. also the hardest. And I think I described for you the challenge that happens as the business grows. I think dealing with that transition was really hard. I was a younger leader at that time. And why that matters is I think sometimes when you're young uh, in business, I don't mean in age, when, when your business is young and you're, you're kind of getting started, you have a very familial style relationship with your team because it's kind of like you and them against the world. And you guys are doing everything on the cheap and, you know, eating and breathing it over the weekend. And, you know, it's just a little bit more intimate that way that relationship Mm -hmm. works. And there's something, and then, and the things you value from those people, like they're sort of all in breadth of approach, you know, what you love about them is very much, I mean, it's so well suited to that stage of the business. And so I think one of the things that got hard is as the business grew, you want to make a business that people can stay with you a long time. But I did find that not everybody could make that transition. And also not everyone wanted to make that transition because back to the Ikigai, like maybe what they liked best about that, the business in the early stage was that they could spread their arms really wide, not go very deep in anything. And they felt so connected to, you know, the, the sort of emotion of the business, which made them really powerful in the small business. But when we got bigger, you know, if they didn't, if they hadn't built deep expertise in those various areas, 
it was hard one because I wasn't deeply knowledgeable. It's not like let's use an example retention marketing. It's not like the the person that was doing our sort of generalized marketing instantly could you know unless she was going to drive herself into like a deep education around retention marketing. She didn't have a deep education in retention marketing. She know how to send emails. You know what I mean? She she didn't know. Yeah. She didn't build a strategy about it. She was doing what needed to be done. So once our needs shifted to we need someone who can build a retention marketing strategy, it's hard to get that out of the internal team because unless those people were on the weekends, you know, increasing their knowledge in a certain area, which, you know, I'd say by and large, most people aren't, they're not outside of work doing a lot of work to advance their skill set is one of the things I find. Um, but yeah. if they're not doing that, there's no one in-house that happens to have deep expertise on retention. And if we did, obviously we'd be doing that, but we're, mm. we need it. And so you end up with a kind of tough spot with a lot of folks where, you know, they were so fundamental to getting started, but it's tricky to transition with them. And I will tell you, like, that was, that was a really hard part, both because like, here are these people that you're so attached to that really helped you and you're so grateful to them. And then also that you're like recognizing they're not going to transition with you to the next phase and you want it to be as positive and amicable and like, um, you know, and respectful as can be. And I think navigating that, especially as a like newer, you know, leader was hard because I didn't want it to be because the nature of the relationship was very personal and we didn't, I didn't ever want it to feel personal in terms yeah. of like, you know, the, the sort of evolution of the business. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so challenging to to navigate. Like, cause you're so right. Like literally everything you're saying, I'm just over here like nodding. I'm like, I'm, like, I'm just, <laughs> everybody that's listening to this episode, rewind that and literally listen to what she said. Like, that is so true. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, um, yeah, I'm marinating. Yes. <laughs> it, it, it's hard. I tell you what, it's hard because it feels really emotional. Like actually yeah. leading things that are strategically hard is not that hard for me. It, and, and probably I would even venture to say not that hard for most people. Like it's almost the difference between being a consultant where you get to put together a strategy for a company and you hand it over and you go, good luck with that, you know, versus mm-hmm. having to be the one that's going to get all the humans aligned and running in the same direction towards that strategy, it's much different when you translate into the doing. And so I think it's one of those things that I had this, um, there, it was, it's emotional to go through those changes because you're all looking at each other being like, you know, it, it's been so great. We both see the value in each other. We both buy into the vision. Why can't we make this work? And are, have any of us failed? Like, is this a, is this a failure on either of our parts? And I think yeah. it's hard to have that conversation, uh, both for me, because I was also questioning, am I a failure? Because I can't get these people to evolve with the company where I want them to. And I want, you know, in my initial vision, I want them to be with me my whole, you know, I, I, I envisioned them with me till the end. Um, but then also just looking at the situation and going, you know what? Like, I, uh, actually Blair said something really great to me the other day. And she was saying, you know, I think the healthier way to look at it is that businesses serve employees and employees serve businesses. So, um, an employee comes in because there's the right need at the right time for them in their career. So they can add value to the company, but they're also 
going to get value out of the, you know, out of the company. They're going to learn a lot and hopefully leave better with more skills than when they came in. And so Mm -hmm. as long as there's a give and there's a get, and and I'm even meaning beyond compensation, Um, Mm -hmm. as long as there's people feel like they're growing and adding value and whatnot, um, and then they are able to add value and grow within the company, you know, that that's all good, but that window may not go on forever. Um, and, mm-hmm. and I think if it doesn't go on, I think that shouldn't be a failure. That should be like, Hey, we served each other well while our paths overlapped. And now we're like cheering each other on from the sidelines. You know, that, that evolution of understanding for me as a leader took a minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so good. Oh man. Okay. I'm loving this conversation. Um, but I would love to pivot slightly sure. just for the, one of these last questions for you. Um, a lot of our listeners are moms and I know you are a mom as well. And so in growing and scaling just huge, incredible, beautiful, like world-changing companies that are actually doing something for the world. And just like, you're just so inspiring on that front. How do you balance it? Like this, this is like the quintessential question. Sure. I feel like all like CEO moms get like whatever. Yes. Um, how do you balance both? <laughs> you know, I feel, I always like worry that I have a depressing answer to this question. Um, is that I don't think I did balance both. I think I, I always look at life as a giant pie graph, not in any given moment, but in the whole of my life. So that means like when I'm on my deathbed and I'm looking back at the pie graph that was my life, am I happy with how I allocated my time? Mm -hmm. And the reason I say that is because unfortunately or fortunately, I don't know, depending on your opinion, you, you tend to peak in your career right around when you biologically need to have children, <laughs> just because yeah. of the way the timing works. It's really tough. It's really tough. Uh, yeah. I remember I just was chatting with my sister yesterday and I was like, it's just brutal because you feel like you need to get ahead in your career enough before you start to think about family where you've, you know, you've got seniority. So if you want to keep working while you have kids, it like makes sense, even just financially, it makes sense for you to work outside the home. And so I, I, I think when I think about entrepreneurship and having kids, I looked at it, I had a very sort of practical view of it and I'll tell you what it was, but I, I feel like when I thought about my pie graph from the deathbed looking forward, I felt like for me, career success was going to be very important. Um, it, it mattered to me because I have a thing about feeling independent. I always want to feel like I'm self-sufficient and money is a big part of that. So I wanted to make sure that I could like earn my own money and, and do that. I also um, I felt like I was an entrepreneur and I really wanted to like see if I could live up to my own expectations of myself. So I had a lot of like fulfillment kind of things tied into being a successful entrepreneur. I also felt like as a, a woman and maybe a more traditional feminist than what today's feminist looks like, but uh, I think I felt like I wanted to walk the walk. Like it's not enough to be out there with signs on the corner saying, you, you know, we can do it. It's just not like you need to do it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like, I have a daughter and a son and I am so pumped that they don't think it's weird that I'm a woman CEO. They don't think of my womanness as having anything to do with me being a CEO. They don't know. My daughter doesn't know that that is any sort of accomplishment. And I don't tell her that it is because it's so amazing. We have this moment where it's like this purest thing that's happening where they just think everyone could be a CEO. They don't know mm-hmm. that that's something that like, my daughter doesn't think, oh, I couldn't be a CEO because I'm a girl. Like that, 
the thought has never entered her head. And someday Mm. the world might tell her differently, but at least from her foundational stages, she will believe that it's normal. And I'm like, it, it was important for me because I thought I want to model that. I want to show her that I can do the things that, that, uh, you know, I can, I can do the things that need to be done. And I, and then consequentially, you know, I have a son too. And it was funny because I always thought about that in the context of my daughter. But I will say also having a son who watches, you know, our dad, uh, their dad, my husband, that got weird for a second, um, <laughs> watching him like do the dishes and, and help drive them around to errands and whatnot while working. Like it's a partnership that they're mm-hmm. watching. And it's a partnership where each of us are stressed, but each of us are with them and really in with them. And then each of us are working. Do we, in the thick of it, I'm going to tell you, it felt awful. (laughs) Mm. It was like, I felt like I was failing everywhere. Instead of feeling like I would look at me, I'm like doing all the things. I felt like I was failing at all the things. But I had told myself that I was going to use the years from zero to five to really crush it with my business with the hopes of being more present after five, because I knew I personally wasn't a huge baby person. And so I wasn't like dying. Some people love babies and they're like just dying to be there and hold their baby all day long. That wasn't really me anyway. So it wasn't a big give for me to get help during that period. And I could pair my child with someone who loved that stage. I could get a nanny for them. And they went to camp or they went to, sorry, they went to daycare much earlier than other kids because they had two working parents. And like, you know, pros and cons of all of that. And I felt guilt about all the things. So I'm, I'm just, I want to be honest about it. But mm-hmm. I now, like I said, I've shifted roles. I'm doubling down on the things that I'm the best at. So it's the best for Lunia. Lunia's getting the best of me and the best of Blair. And my kids are getting a more present parent because I crushed it out when they were younger. And now that a lot of the, a lot of the things they need help with now are, are, psychological. So when they're young, it's physically hard. And when they're older, it's mentally hard. They come home and they're struggling with friendships or they like someone who doesn't like them back or they got hit and they don't know how to handle that. And, and I'm dealing with sort of value, creating values in these kids. And it's something that I feel like I wanted to be there for this stage. Cause this is the stage where I'm like, I can really show up and differentiate, so to speak, as a parent. I'm like, this is you know, I really want to be a part of this, this phase of it. And so I've shifted my career into being more flexible Mm -hmm. intentionally. I set it up this way, um, so that I could be there for this. And I think there's an aspect to, to kind of zooming out like that and trying to time it right so that you can be leaning in, in the stages that feel like you want to be leaning in for, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think there's something so powerful in what you just said. A, of just getting, you know, being honest and sharing, you know, Mm -hmm. this is what I did and this is what felt right for me. And, you know, in the midst of it, I felt like I was failing at everything. And, you know, just that honesty and that insight from, because I think it's very easy, especially as entrepreneurs and women who are mothers or want to be mothers, um, to look at other successful female entrepreneurs who are moms or something and be like, and think they're doing it all. They like, did it all like yeah. perfectly, flawlessly. Right. And they felt super balanced while in the midst Ugh. of it. And I think it's like, they don't see us crying <laughs> ourselves to sleep because like yeah. we weren't with our kid that day. Oh, oh I yeah. that so hard. <laughs> I, I told, I remember right after I had my kids, I was having, it's actually, it was just with the, the, it was just the first kid. 
I remember I was having, so I started the business and had both kids like right at the same time. The kids are 15 months apart. They're now, by the way, nine and seven. So mm. they're, they're older, they're at a different stage, which makes them much more independent. It's much easier to get balance in your life with your kids being older. But when they're younger, and I remember when they were like newborn and I was just starting the business, I was having dreams all the time. I had two dreams and they were reoccurring. One was of being naked. <laughs> and running down the street, running like a sprinter, just like full down the street called San Vicente, just like running. And then the other, still naked, whatever the steel is with nakedness, I don't know, <laughs> of like drowning myself in the ocean, which oh, gosh. is kind of brutal. But I'm saying that because I think what I, I definitely have postpartum, but I actually think like, I don't know what's postpartum versus what sleep, de true sleep deprivation. You know, it's just mm -hmm. like when you sleep, a couple hours a night for months at a time, your brain doesn't work. That's like how they torture people in prison. So I can't decide, was that sleep deprivation? Was that postpartum? I don't know. It didn't Either manifest. way, it was tough. Yeah, yeah, it didn't manifest in like a happy-go-lucky person who was like <laughs> super patient. But um, I, I mention it because it's just, it, it's really hard. And when you're in it, you're thinking like, how does anybody do this? I think survival was very much a word that I thought of all the time. But I, every day I just thought, keep putting a foot. I believed in the vision, not just for Lunia, but for my life. I was like, I know the vision I have for my life. That's why I, I was saying like, I think people need a vision for their life. You know, you think about that as so obvious for a company, but it's like, what is your vision? And then you bring your spouse into that. And I even think people should think about this before they get married. Like, I remember talking to my husband early on and just being like, you know, I'm not going to be, a, I'm not going to be fulfilled as a stay-at-home uh, wife. I just want to say it out loud because I can feel like based on how you were raised that, that you might want me to go in that position. I want to say from day one, like, even if we don't need the money, I will do this because this is like what I need for me. And I remember like getting him to sign on the line, not, not metaphorically about it, <laughs> just because I remember being like, I don't see a world where I'm not going to, I'm suddenly going to have a kid and not care about my own my own stuff anymore also. Mm -hmm. And so I think the reason I say the vision is because if you have a vision in your eye, just the same way for your company, it's almost accidental. People talk about manifesting. I don't think there's anything new about this idea of manifesting. It sounds kind of hippy dippy, but it's just simply having a vision. And you almost, when you have a clear enough vision, you intentionally and unintentionally move everything in that direction. So mm -hmm. I had a vision for my life of my husband and I both working really hard, having career accomplishments, having a family, traveling at some point, not necessarily at the same time as all that work was going on, having a nice home, you know, like, and so I kind of, I looked at it and I was like, okay, our time to crush it and go really hard is going to be mid twenties to like early, you know, late thirties or early forties. Cause we're going to be in kid zone, work zone, whatever. And and I want to back it off after that because I want to, I'll still work, but I don't need the intensity. And, you know, I, I want a partner yeah. that's going to let me have my career and have his own. And, you know, all this, and so all those things are in my head. And I think by having it, you just, you build, you build and that, that makes it a reality. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, I think the accidental ending up somewhere that was, that happened. It's funny. My mom's generation that happened a lot more. Um, and maybe it happens a lot now, but that they just sort of like did the role that they were told to do. You know, it was clear, it was more defined gender roles. And so you just kind of like did the role you were supposed to do where I think it's easy to fall into that even today. But 
and I think it's great if you want to stay home with the kids. I, I, I actually have so many friends that they like love that. And I think it's been so great for them. So I don't have any judgment about whatever you try to do. It's more of just a go into it with intention. Cause I think anytime mm-hmm. you end up somewhere accidentally, you'll end up looking at it through like, well, should I have, you know, almost a regretful mm-hmm. eye. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and that, I think, what do they say that the most likely thing to end a marriage is resentment. And I think mm-hmm. regret and resentment are, are, are sisters. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and then I, so I think it's like you end up with sort of a, a, a bad sentiment that like eats into everything you do because you're like mm-hmm. this, I'm not sure this is where I wanted to be. And then you're in pretty deep. So all, all about the, like spending the time before you go down that road. Yes. Oh, this conversation that. has just been from scaling to leadership to oh. motherhood. I'm savoring <laughs> every single thing that you've said. Uh, one of the last questions that we love to ask every guest on this podcast is what is the biggest lesson you've learned in business, which is kind of a lofty one, Ooh. but I would love <laughs> to know your answer. I think I'm going to stick with the people theme because mm-hmm. I actually think the people part was the hardest part for me uh, personally to get good at. And, and I'm not even going so far as to say I'm good at it now, but uh, it's been a very much of a learned skill where I do see some leaders that are very innate with it. And I think mm-hmm. the thing I would say is there's a, there's a expression that I heard that says how, show up with you know, a high bar and high devotion. And I feel mm-hmm. like as a younger leader, I really grappled with how I can make people feel cared for and still manage them and the company to the results we needed. And, and yeah. I think this is still hard, I, I, again. But I loved this phrase because I think it delineates the goal, which is high bar, high devotion. And I can be transparent with people and say, I'm going to support you in your career and your growth. And that means I'm going to be direct with you on where the gaps are and what I need and what, you know, so that, that sometimes means good news. That sometimes means bad news, but I'm going to tell you, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm going to tell you because I care about you. And then, but caring about you doesn't mean that we always are going to work together. Sometimes it means that I'll help you go, you know what, you're really good at X and I have a job for Y, you know, is this yeah. where you want to be? And, and that's not always like a bad thing, you know, because sometimes that can come from a place of, of care for a person. Yeah. Like, I want you to develop mm-hmm. your career in the way that is like absolutely in your best interest. But I, you know, I need something else at this time. And unless you can deliver that something else at a really high standard or high bar, um, you know, then we're square peg round holding this. And I think that balance, uh, has served me really well, even as I think about it as a parent, you know, it's that same line that we have to walk, which is like, I want my kids to feel loved and supported and cared for, but I also need them to finish their homework and clean up after themselves and, you know, be responsible. So I think that the lessons that you learn in the workplace around navigating that, and I think that the the trick to that is really around, um, around honesty and, and, mm-hmm. and, rationale, like being rational and honest and transparent, but also clear about what you want and what they want mm-hmm. and, you know, what everybody's needs are. I think if you nail that, uh, it's a skill that literally crosses over every aspect of your life. 
Oh, I cannot amen that enough. That is, <laughs> I think it's, you know, and so important to realize too, that it's not just for the good and health of you and your business to be communicating through things like that, not just with employees, but with yourself, with contractors, with, you know, whoever, exactly. but it's also for the good of them. Cause if they're not in the right seat on the bus, then they're not happy. They're not thriving. They're not operating in their genius zone. They're going to feel stretched or uncomfortable, you know, round peg, square hole. Like they're going to feel that disconnect just as much as you. Oftentimes it's funny. We do a pulse of Lumia, which is like everyone gives uh, me feedback on the company and all these, their managers and their jobs and the clarity and all the different things about the company. And it is amazing because it's almost 10 out of 10 times that when I feel like someone is struggling, um, they feel like they are struggling. So it's usually yeah. not a secret. You think, oh, they don't know, or I feel bad because I want to keep a job for them or whatnot. And almost all of those circumstances, they're feeling it too. Yeah. Yep. And it's mm-hmm. uh, it's being mm-hmm. a good leader to be able to, you know, honestly and lovingly have those conversations and make sure they're in the right place for themselves as well. Oh my gosh, Ashley, this has been so amazing. Thank you so much for just all of your insight and information today. You brought not only so much just education and like wisdom to the table, but also I I know so much inspiration and like our listeners are going to walk away being like, man, I have this idea. I need to sit down and map it out and really think through this and then go for it. You know, there was just (laughs) a lot of encouragement and inspiration in your whole story as well. So thank you for your time here today. Seriously. Thank you so much. It was really fun. Yay. Well, our listeners I know are going to love you. So where can they find you? Where can they, you know, shop Lunya, connect with you on a personal level, if that's possible, anything like that? For sure. So on Instagram, you can find me. So Ashley double underscore Merrill. And that's, that's me on Instagram and they're welcome to follow or reach out. And then for Lunia, um, Lunia.co and, or on Instagram, um, Lunia, it's just at Lunia. So you can check it out there. And I think, um, definitely subscribe. I would say the Lunia email, we've got new great stuff coming out all year long. It's going to be an incredible year of new product development. So certainly worth following along. Oh, thank you so much, Ash. I mean, literally, like, I'm drooling over Lunia stuff, like, right now. I'm yeah. just like, oh, so, <laughs> everyone, go check them out. Go check out Ashley. And, Ashley, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me.